This is Brandon M. Crooker, and you're listening to the Apostolic Theory Podcast. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Pentecostal Periodical Magazine, a 501c3 ministry with writers who believe and live apostolic doctrine. A few writers include Kelly Nix, Scott Phillips, Samantha Thrash, Neil Purcell, Larry Chocklin, Jeff Arnold, and more. You can subscribe at www.pentecostalperiodical.com. If you would like to join our writing team or would like to make a donation, email us at info at pentecostalperiodical.com. Today we have a very special guest, Pastor Raymond Woodward, uh, from just even uh, dig a little bit into the knowledge that this man of God has. Uh, but just for the sake of, of time, uh, Brother Woodward, would you just introduce yourself, uh, share a little bit about you with the listeners, and then we'll go right from there. Sounds great. Well, it's, first of all, it's a privilege to uh, be online with you today, and uh grateful for the opportunity anytime we get to talk about the Word of God. Um, I have been uh, lead pastor of Capital Community Church in Fredericton, New Brunswick for about 20 years. Before that, I worked here as an assistant for eight years, worked at another church as an assistant for eight years, and last year we did our transition. So I am now uh, the bishop of the church and also serve as a teaching pastor and uh, then some of my responsibilities take me on the road a bunch. So, uh, but but mostly my wheelhouse is teaching the Word of God, and, and just love to do that. Um, I, we have two grown kids; they're both married. We've got four little granddaughters and a, a, another little boy on the way. Should be born about a month from now or so, and we're really excited about that. So, God is good, and life is good, and. And uh, glad to be chatting with you today. That's tremendous, sir. Um, again, thank you so much for joining us. I'm very excited um, just to even break into a little bit of the knowledge that you have. I've heard you speak several, several times, and it's always just been absolutely tremendous. Um, but I think what I feel like we should, the direction we should go is just to sort of approach well, first, I guess the first question would just be, how do you think we as Christians should approach the, um, the I don't want to necessarily say act of holiness, but, but the, just, just what holiness is and how it applies to our lives as Christians? Well, you know, that's a, to me, that's a very important question uh, and, and probably a central question. Uh, the challenge in our generation is that, you know, all Christians, doesn't matter what denomination they're from, all Christians today, they say, well, I serve a holy God. Uh, my life is governed by the Holy Bible. I want to spend eternity in a holy heaven. Some of them even say I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. But for all of that, if you say the word holiness, they freak out. They, that's not even a word that's familiar to so many of them. And yet, if you look at the Bible, holiness is actually very central to our lives with God. If you look at uh, the Bible, you'll see scriptures like 
as he which has called you is holy, so be you holy, ye holy, in all manner of conversation. You be holy, for I'm a holy. If you look at uh, the scripture in Hebrews, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. If you look at 2 Corinthians, it's come out from among them and be separate, and don't touch the unclean thing, and God says, then I'll receive you. And so if you look at scripture, Holiness is not something for the super spiritual. It's not something for Christians that are, you know, very different than the average. It's for everyone. The, the purpose of our lives is to be made into the image of a holy God. And so holiness, far from being an extra or an add-on, it's central to what God does in our lives. Absolutely. And so the next question is, how would you or how would how would a Christian be able to define holiness biblically? Holiness is an ancient word. Um, if you look in the Hebrew, it's uh, kodesh. Uh, we would say uh, in Hebrew, kodesh, kodeshu, the holy of holies. So that's Old Testament. New Testament, um, you've got a, a different word, but the same meaning. And if you look in the New Testament, all of the words in the New Testament is hagios. It, it's a different language. It's a different era. It's a different word, but it means the same thing. Whether it's Old Testament Hebrew or New Testament Greek, those words, kodesh and hagios, they both carry the same meaning. To be holy, by definition, is to be withdrawn from something, to be separate from something, to be apart, to be different. And so in the Old Testament, uh, there were holy objects, uh, like the Ark of the Covenant, there were holy places, uh, and the people were also separated from others around them. They were consecrated to God. That, by definition, is holy. To be, to be holy, to have holiness in your life, is by definition to be separated from something. Uh, now, in the New Testament, we don't have holy objects anymore. We don't have holy places because we're not a physical people of God. We're a spiritual people of God. But we still in the New Testament see it all the time that the people are to be holy like the Old Testament people were holy. They're to be separate. And so, you know, to define holiness in the life of a Christian, what are we separate from? We're separate from sin, of course. We're separate from the elements and the attitudes and the spirits of the world. We're separate in our lifestyle, in the way we talk, the things we do, our activities, our media choices, uh, things like our conversation, even things like the way we uh, clothe our bodies, that we're modest and we're distinct and men and women are distinct and we're distinct from some of the weird uh, fashions of the world that are not only immodest, but sometimes just flamboyant, just to be uh, weird or different. So, so those are all ways that we're separate. Uh, holiness starts on the inside because we are filled with the Holy Spirit, but holiness will quickly move to uh, the outside. You know, sometimes people say to me, uh, well, I've got Jesus in my heart, and I always want to smile and say, well, you need to let him out because we can't tell he's in there. You know, that sounds like a hostage situation to me. You know, just let him out of that basement or wherever you got him and let him show in your life. So, so to me, that's holiness. 
by definition, if you say to me, if, if your question a minute ago had been, what is baptism? Well, I would say baptism is being immersed in water, covered in water, buried in water, because baptism has a definition. You're not baptized biblically unless you've been immersed in water. Furthermore, unless you've been immersed in water in the name of Jesus. But baptism has a definition. Well, so does holiness. Holiness has a definition. So you can't say I'm living a holy life biblically unless you obey the definition of the word, which is to be separate, withdrawn, apart, different, distinct, unique. Um, and we'll, we'll continue on. Carry on. I'm talking too long. No, that's, that's tremendous. Um, that's good teaching um, and needful. We, I feel like, at least from my uh, spiritual thermometer, is as the days progress, uh, we, we have more and more even apostolic Pentecostal Christians who are either ignorant, maybe that's the best word, of certain biblical teaching. And maybe it's because they were never taught it, or maybe it's because they don't truly understand it. How would you go about, and, and you know, I've got listeners really from all over the world um, mm -hmm. that tune into this podcast. Um, how would you best uh, explain it to the everyday, to the everyday Christian? How, how, how should they apply that to their lives? Well, again, you've got to go back to this whole idea of how is my life separate from the world? How is my life separate from sin? Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, he said, and I really think he captures our generation, which is what you just referred to. He says, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. They put darkness in the place of light, light in the place of darkness. They put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And then he says in verse 21, woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. So I think Isaiah captured our generation perfectly, that we have seen this swapping. Now, things that always were considered good and wonderful and patriotic and moral, now they're considered evil. Uh, there's there's such a, a, a switching in our generation. Good is looked upon as evil, but evil is looked upon as good. And so Isaiah prophesied that, and he, he gives us what's going on in that second verse in, in, in Isaiah 5 and 21. He says, woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes. And that's our generation. They think they're so smart as they deconstruct gender. They think they're so smart as they ignore moral principles. They think they're so smart as they defy every kind of authority. Isaiah captured them. They're putting darkness in the place of light. So, in opposition to that, you have the church. Uh, yes, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But he also said, you are the light of the world. And so we are to be as different in this world as the light is from darkness. So holiness is a, a lifestyle. It's not just a list of rules. It's not just a list of, of a dress code or these are the standards you have to obey. That's part of it, but it's like the tip of the iceberg. Holiness begins in your inner man. And God, and, and Paul says in Thessalonians uh, 
1 Thessalonians 4 and, and, and 7 and verse 8. He says, God has not called us unto uncleanness. He has called us unto holiness. So some people have a problem with that today. Well, I don't want to be different. I don't want to, uh, you know, look different, act different. I don't want people to know I'm different. They want to be a, an incognito Christian. And really what they're feeling is the pressure from this age. In that next verse, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 8, he said, he therefore that despises. So whoever despises holiness, he said, you're not despising man. You're despising God who has also given unto us his Holy Spirit. So it only makes sense to me that if God has given us his Holy Spirit and we are governed by his holy word, that our lives would be holy in every area. So, so sometimes what happens is uh, people look at that and they say, well, holiness is just a dress code. Well, of course it encompasses a dress code in an immoral, immodest, ungodly, sensual uh, world. Of course it would encompass a dress code because we see the opposite of modesty and morality in the way people dress all the time, and it's getting far worse. But it's not just that. It's our media choices. In a world where media now promotes every kind of wickedness and sensuality and evil and witchcraft and demonic things, of course, holiness would affect what we watch, uh, what we read, what we, what we are around. And, and so it's really, really important that people look at this and say, uh, not how close can I get to the world and still be okay? But it's really important that a spirit of holiness comes into our lives, and a spirit of holiness will never ask that question, how close can I get to the edge and God will still be okay with it? A spirit of holiness always says, how can I glorify God? So if he asks me to be different, it, it is God who says in his word, the apostle Peter writes these words, 1 Peter 2 and 9, you are a chosen generation, you're a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people. Well, why? Why does God say you need to be peculiar? Why does he say you need to be holy? Here's, here's why, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that's Peter, uh, mid-first century. He's echoing the prophet Isaiah 1,600 years before, who said, in the last days, there's going to be a generation that puts light in the place of darkness. So the thing that stands against that is the people of God, who they allow their lives to be a light. And, and it's not accidental that Peter uses the words peculiar, holy, priesthood, chosen. God wants us to do that. And, and sometimes people will say, well, what gives God the right to, to demand that his people live different, act different, talk different, dress different? What would give him the right? Well, Peter's next verse, 1 Peter 2 and 11, he says, which in time past were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And in time past, you had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. That's what gives God the right. He's the one who picked us up out of sin, redeemed us, saved us, uh, is going to allow us to go to his holy heaven. If anybody has a right to put some, some restrictions or rules or standards or codes of conduct or commandments 
It would be a God who had done all of that for us. And so uh, let, let, let me um, quote one more scripture here. Um, uh, I'm not quoting, I'm reading, I'm not that smart. First uh, John chapter five and verse three. Um, people talk about the love of God uh, today, you know, and, and they talk about it as though God loves us so much. He's kind of like this doddering old grandfather up in heaven. And really, we can get by with a lot. And we just ask him to forgive us. And we're pulling the wool over God's eyes. You'd never pull the wool over God's eyes. Just because God is love does not mean that he doesn't have expectations for us. Here's what John says, 1 John 5 and 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. You want to prove that you love God? Don't tell me about God's love. Don't tell me about how you feel. Don't tell me about all your great spiritual thoughts. If you love God, John said, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And then he adds, and his commandments are not grievous. His commandments don't burden me. They don't chafe me. They don't rub me the wrong way. I'm not bitter because I have to keep God's commandments. I get to keep God's commandments. It is how I express my love to him for his great love for me. So to me, in a nutshell, that is holiness. It's falling in love with Jesus and to such an extent uh, that that you don't care what the world thinks about your a godly lifestyle. And I think that's part of what's been lost in this generation. We are so aware of what the world thinks, what they say, their attitude, what they mock, that that conditions us more than what the word is conditioning us. And I think that's a real problem. So in the, in the aspect that we have the world buying for our attention and we have all these different mediums of, of entertainment and, and ways that, I mean, we live in the information age where information just travels around the world in seconds. Um, how can, personally, how do you think we as the church can combat that? Well, I, I, I think combat is a good word because we're in spiritual warfare, in spiritual warfare. However, combat is probably not a good word in personal interaction. The Bible specifically tells us the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The word tells us we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we're wrestling that our fight, our combat, if you will, is against spiritual wickedness in high places. So our enemy is not the government, it's not the court system, it's not a politician, it's not our neighbors, it's not the school system, it's not any of those things. It's the spirits that are behind them. Those people, if I can say it this way, no matter how wicked we may think they are, no matter how evil we may consider their agenda, no matter how much they oppose us, they are the victims. They are not the aggressor. The devil is the aggressor. So I think the greatest way to combat that and to push it back is to simply be the light. That's 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 the principle of scripture. So every light switch in your house preaches a little sermon. If that switch is connected to the power, if you flip the switch, the power is going to make the light come on. If we are truly filled with the Holy Ghost, 
then we are going to naturally spread light wherever we go. Sometimes that light will be mocked. That's what John said in his gospel. The light came into the world, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So sometimes the light will be mocked. Sometimes it will be opposed. Sometimes governments or courts or, or school systems will pass policies that are a direct affront to the church. So I'm not talking about being an American or a Canadian and having your vote and your voice. That's your responsibility as a citizen. I'm talking about your interaction in the public square, that we should always show love. We should always be respectful. Um, was it Paul that said, or Peter, uh, always being ready to give an answer to them with, um, uh, he used the word reverence and fear, I think. In other words, you respect the people that you're dialoguing with. But I think the greatest advertisement for God is his people who are living in peace, living in joy, living in, in harmony and unity with one another. Um, you know, there were people in the first century that actually wrote against the Christians in the first century. And one of those quotes that comes to mind, and I can't remember who said it, uh, but but they actually were writing a letter against the Christians, and they said, something like, behold how they love one another. This was somebody that was against the church, wanting to stamp out the church, but they couldn't help noticing that the church loved each other, and they they lived those lives. So, so to me, holiness shouldn't look like, and I'm not making fun here, or maybe I am. I'm not sure. Maybe I am. Holiness shouldn't look like some cranky, old lady who's dressed very modestly, but she criticizes everybody in her neighborhood, or she's a gossip. Holiness should not look like a man who abstains from worldly media, but they're, they're lazy, they're hateful on their job, they're always in a quarrel with somebody. Holiness impacts every area of our lives, and I think holiness is really attractive to people who have just had it up to here with sin. They're so broken, so addicted, so messed up, families destroyed. When they actually see somebody, they know in their heart of hearts, they're not going to get help from the buddy sitting on the next bar stool who's just as hungover, just as addicted as they are. Somewhere inside of them, they know there's got to be something more, got to be something different. So when they see somebody, if I could just say to all the Pentecostal people who are who are listening, when they see your dress code, which is modest and godly in an ungodly world, that is not what's going to attract them to God. It's not going to happen. They've been so conditioned for immodesty and for fitting in and for being stylish or whatever words you want to put in it. Your dress code is not going to attract anyone to God, in my opinion. What's going to attract them is that you have joy, you have peace, you have love, you are content, uh, you're living a life of purpose, you love serving Jesus, you love being part of his church. The, the, the modesty and the godliness, that's a byproduct. And so this is how we teach uh, holiness or how we should teach holiness. You know, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So somebody should be able to live the way you live and get to heaven. 
if they do it like you're doing it, they should get to heaven. So, so what would they do if they're following uh, me or you? They would repent of their sins. They'd be baptized in Jesus' name. They'd be filled with the Holy Ghost. They would live a, a godly, prayerful, modest uh, life, separated from the world. Paul said, you follow me. So in other words, watch what I do. And I think that's the way holiness is supposed to work, that, that people see in us uh, you, you want them to be family first and love their families and, 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 and not be like the world and, and you know, all, all these divided households and divorces and single parent households because dad took off and he's drunk or he's addicted. If you really want them to be something different than that then my goodness, you be something different than that. Let your home be a haven of peace and love and joy and modesty and godliness where the children are learning to love God instead of just you abandon them to a television set or an iPad half the day and they just watch whatever and, and fill their young minds with all this garbage. So this is all part of, of, of holiness and it's all part of being the light. That's the constant image. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, but he said, you are the light of the world. So the constant image with holiness is good versus evil, light versus darkness, sin versus righteousness, immodesty versus modesty. It's always a contrast back and forth every single time we see it in the scripture. And so we're supposed to be on one side of that, but not in a hateful way. Remember, we're combating the devil and his kingdom. We're not combating any of the people that are around us. They're the victims, not the enemy. I like how you I like how you just put that. And um, you know, because the Bible says that, well, Jesus said that they, he would the world would know that we're his disciples by our loved one for another. Yes. And that was proven there how these onlookers um said just behold look at how they love each other they they, exactly. they they care about each other and they're taking care of each other and all the news yep. they're just pooling all their money and all their finances and they're they're all working together and i really like general conference this year because you know brother joel urshan's message about the, the fruit, fruit of the spirit, of the spirit big time and the unity of the body and and how yes. you know but the fruit obviously becomes on display when we get connected to to the true vine, to the fruitful exactly. vine, to, you know, to to Jesus. You well, know, yeah, part of I, that fruit is not just love and peace. Part of that fruit is self-control, temperance. So in a world that's out of control, that's part of the fruit of the spirit, too. It's not just about love and peace and joy. It's about self-control. Um, so when you've got the fruit of the spirit active in your life, it will, it will help you with all these areas where the world, the, the motto of the world is just, you know, go ahead and try it. It doesn't hurt anybody. Just go do it. Do whatever you want. Do whatever you feel in the moment. But a Christian, we're a disciple. And the word disciple and the word discipline, that's the same root word. You can't be a disciple of Jesus without having disciplines in your life. And so that's all part of of holiness. Holiness, I would say this very strongly. Holiness, sometimes when people look at Pentecostals, because we are a godly, modest, separate people, they think, oh, the holiness, that's just a dress code. It's an old-fashioned dress code. 
It is far more than that. But I will say in defense of a godly, modest dress code, that what we see right now in society, who would have dreamed that the battles we have faced over dress code, see, this whole thing is only about 100 years old. Back before, uh, you know, World War I, women didn't dress like they do today. Um, that started after World War I. They called it the Roaring Twenties. A lot of stuff started to change. And then, of course, we get up through the the, the 60s, and, and, and it's just crazy. So, so basically, when, when we look at the world and we look at the, this, this whole uh, attitude of, 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 of worldliness and immodesty, and now it's gender blending and bending and, and, and all kinds of gender confusion, that started with clothing. You know, uh, 50 years ago, we're arguing over clothing. Can women wear what was traditionally men's clothing and whatever? So it starts with clothing. And now we're talking about surgery and drug treatments. And it's it's awful where it goes. They're not separate. It's a continuum. And so uh, to everyone that would say, ah, that's just a, a, a dress code. There's some value in a dress code that is a modest, godly, separate dress code. There's great value there. It's not the heart of holiness. It's the symptom of what's in your heart. And But it's becoming more and more important the further we go on with this, because, you know, who'd ever dream? You know, we used to talk about men's and women's clothing. Now we're actually talking about gender being fluid and kids can pick their own gender. And, and, and we've gotten to that point, but it's not a separate battle. It's the same battle that's been going on. Certainly for the last hundred years, it's accelerated every single decade. And now here we are, and we're, we're in a mess in culture. Never before has there been such an opportunity for people that do kind of have their head on straight, that they that, that, that they are aware of the word of God and they are aware of the commandments of God. Never before has there been a greater opportunity to be that light. And again, light and darkness, that's the image that we keep seeing when we're talking about uh, holiness. And, and I'll say one other thing here. Um, you know, people say, okay, well, yes, holiness, it's the love of God in your heart, and it's its the fruit of the Spirit. So it's not all that other stuff. And I would say it's both. Uh, the way you dress, your media choices, that's not the heart of holiness. That's the symptom of having the Holy Ghost in you. So people will sometimes say to me, well, yeah, but wouldn't you say that internal holiness is way more important than external holiness? And I would say, yeah, it is. Internal holiness is more important than external holiness. In the same way that your heart and your lungs are more important than your eyes and your ears and your mouth. But in a good body, a healthy body, you want to have both. You want to have internal organs. You want to have external organs because they work together. And so I wouldn't want to have a body with a healthy heart, healthy lungs, no eyes, no ears, no mouth. Uh, so, so that's the principle of holiness. Holiness will always grow to the outside. It starts in the inside. And it is Jesus who said, let your light, there's that image again of light and darkness, let your light so shine before men, so something outward, something they can see, that they may see your 
good works. They can't see your, your joy or your peace or your love most of the time. It has to come forward in something you do. So Jesus said, let them see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. But again, there it is again, the light versus darkness. So most of holiness is following the word of God, loving the commandments of God, and then just being a light. We're not in this to win arguments or have debates. We're in this to be a light. That is the heart of holiness to me. And I, I back to how our light shines and, and how, you know, we're a city set on a hill and we're not to put our light under a bushel and we're to, to shine before men. Um, I, and I've preached this often. Um, I think a lot of opportunities I get, I, I interject um, this, that, you know, obviously it's, it's the spirit that draws all men. That's what the Bible teaches, right? Yes. And then when you get filled with the spirit, naturally, the spirit of God in us should be portrayed through us, which draws men to the gospel, into the goodness exactly. of God. Yep, Absolutely. I think, you know, we, again, you know, you, you just, you taught it so well today. Um, the way that we dress is important, but I think we've, you know, it's, the question is, is this a hill you want to die on? You know, when, when it comes to people that are genuinely hungry for God and you expect them before they even get through the door to, to you know, change their apparel and change everything about themselves without having experienced God, we've missed it because yeah. they're not going to change until they have that experience. Yes, you're, you're absolutely correct. That's a misapplication of holiness because holiness is supposed to grow out of you having the Holy Spirit in you. It's supposed to grow out of you submitting to God's holy word. So uh, most of the issues of holiness that would be externally observed um, so this would be including your clothing, it would include your ornamentation, uh, it would include, um, you know, even activities and things you go and participate in and, you know, friendships, uh, you know, going to the club versus going to church, for example, all of those things, they're easily observed externally. Uh, but you cannot expect a sinner to live like a saint until they've become a saint. And so for people that are more concerned about um, all of those issues than they are about the heart of the issue, they're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. You're trying to make a sinner think like a saint, act like a saint, uh, you know, walk and talk like a saint. They're not a saint yet. And so we have to remember uh, Paul's principle, follow me as I follow Christ. We're to lead them um, they're to grow up in God. Um, and, and, and that's another image with, with holiness, um, that, that it's about growth, that we grow in the Lord, that we uh, mature in the Lord. Much of what we talk about when it comes to external standards, I'll say, standards of godliness, of separation, to me, those are almost all maturity issues. 
They're not salvation issues. I'm not saved by what I do. I'm saved by what Jesus did for me. I do what I do because, you know, he saved me for me to walk that way. A couple of, a couple of scriptures here. Um, uh, because sometimes people say, well, I'm not saved by what I do. I don't have to do that. I don't have to live that way. I don't have to do any of these good works. And and they loved this scripture. And this is one of my favorite junctures in, 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 in Paul's writing, because it's, it's so uh, misapplied and misquoted. Ephesians chapter two. So this is verse eight, nine, 10. So, so Ephesians two, verse eight, they'll quote this. And sometimes, boy, they can get pretty aggressive. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9 says, not of works, lest any man should boast. And boy, they'll stop there and they'll push in. See, I'm not saved by works. I don't have to do good works. It's not of works. What do you think of that? And I always say, for 40 years of ministry, I've said the same thing. Read the next verse. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So I'm not saved by good works. Not saying that. I don't believe that. Scripture doesn't teach that. I'm not saved by the good works I do. But because I am saved, I choose to do good works. And furthermore, God has ordained good works for me to walk in. So good works are not important to save me. They're important now that I am saved. And to me, that's the big difference. So really, what it all ends up coming back to is light. It, light, yes. I'm sorry. It hits just a second there. It all comes back to let your light so shine before men. And light, Jesus, he made the equivalence of when your light so shines before men, they're going to see your good works. They're going to see the way you're living. They're going to see what you're doing. Um, it's pretty telling to me that to every church in Revelation 2 and 3, some of them God commended them, some of them he judged them, some of them he had correction, but every single church in Revelation 2 and 3, the seven churches in Asia Minor, to every one of them, God said, I know your works. He evaluated them based on what they were doing. And it's it's the same with us in many ways. Your your audio is breaking up badly, but you said something about priesthood. Um, so let me take a stab at this, and maybe the, the video and the audio will get better here. Um the the um Holiness is about being a royal priesthood. Priests in the Old Testament, and the parallels true spiritually in the New Testament, priests spoke to God on behalf of um, the people. What is one thing you want to leave? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. In the Old Testament, the priesthood, priests spoke to God on behalf of the people, and priests also spoke to the people on behalf of God. So, as a royal priesthood, I think that's part of our job, is that, yes, we have a relationship with God, and we pray for people, we intercede for them, we want them to be saved, but it's not just speaking to God on behalf of people, it's speaking to people on behalf of God. And one of the ways that our life speaks to people is how we live, 
we live a holy and a godly life. So I think the other thing you said is one thing that I would uh, want to leave with, with people. And there are so many different things about holiness um, that that you could leave with, with people. Uh, I would say this, I think, maybe perhaps most importantly, that holiness is about growing in the Lord. And I, I didn't mention this earlier because I figured we would probably get here at some point. The word holy, hodesh in the Old Testament, hagios in the New Testament, holy means separate, apart, different, unique. Holiness is also a synonym for sanctification. Uh, Paul said, this is the will of God in Christ concerning you, even your sanctification. So sanctification is the will of God for us. So when I was justified, that's my new birth process, justification. God takes my sin. It's as if I've never sinned, and I am justified before him. That's the new birth. But then I enter into a process called sanctification. Sanctification is where I'm not just saved from the penalty of sin in my life. Now, every day that I live, I'm being saved from the power of sin over me. And then, of course, at the end of our lives, whether we go to heaven by way of the grave or whether we go in the rapture, there's another process, and that's glorification. And when we are raptured or when we go in the resurrection, we're saved out of the very presence of sin. We can never be tempted anymore. So, so here's what I would say uh, in, in conclusion on, you know, one thing I would like to leave with people is if you're a child of God, you've already experienced justification. You've been born again. Someday you'll experience glorification. You will be saved forever in heaven. The devil can't tempt you. Sin can't touch you. So where are you right now? You're in this middle part. Sanctification. I was justified. Today I'm being sanctified. Someday I will be glorified. Right now, everybody that's breathing, that's listening to you and me, that is a child of God, we're in that middle ground called sanctification sanctification is the whole point of the Christian life. So what does sanctification mean? Well, sanctification is a synonym. It's the same word. Sanctification is a synonym for holiness. You know, I often say in jest, we could save pastors a whole lot of work if we just got people to repent, prayed them through to the Holy Ghost, and then baptized them in Jesus' name and held them under until the bubble stopped send them straight to heaven. Uh, no more church problems, no more pastoral counseling. They just go straight to heaven. Why don't we do that? Well, a couple of good reasons. First of all, we'd end up in jail. But secondly, we don't do that because there's a point for you still being here, living for God. Holiness, being sanctified, living separate, being the light of God in this world, it is not something extra or something for a few super spiritual people. Holiness is the point of the Christian life. After you're born again, holiness is the point because that's what lets your life be a light. So that's what I would say, you know, kind of that I'd like to leave with everybody is remember holiness is not just extra. It's not accidental. It's not inconsequential. It is the heart of what God wants to do. He wants to literally make you into his image. And that's becoming holy. That's becoming sanctified. And it's far from a little extra. It's far from a little optional. It is the point 
of why you're still here. And until we die or until we go in the rapture, we're to be that light, that godly witness in the world. This podcast is made possible because of listeners like you who are willing to bridge the gap. We now have a sponsorship program on our Anchor website in which you can become a monthly sponsor of $1, $5, or $10 a month. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook.